Welcome to Music History Monday for August 14th, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Worst Timing Ever. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. On August 14, 1962, 61 years ago today, the manager of the Beatles, Brian Epstein, made a phone call to the drummer Ringo Starr, inviting him to join the band. As I suspect we are all aware, Starr said yes. Two days later, on August 16th, Epstein had the unenviable task of firing the band's present drummer, Randolph Peter Pete Best, born Randolph Peter Scanland, 1941, who had been the Beatles' drummer for almost exactly two years since August 1960. Best's firing, effective on August 18, 1962, was, for Best, the worst the worst timing ever. Seventeen days later, on September 4th, 1962, a reconfigured Beatles with Ringo Starr as drummer recorded their first number one hit and went from nobodies to superstars in the span of a few weeks. Pete Best, born 1941. Peter Best was born on November 24, 1941, in Madras, which was then part of British India. His father, a marine engineer named Donald Peter Scanland, died during World War II. Pete's mother, Mona, went on to marry a British officer from Liverpool named Johnny Best, with whom she had a second son, this one named Rory. In 1945, the Best family returned to Britain on the MV Georgic, the last British troop ship to leave India. It docked in Liverpool on December 25, 1945. It was in Liverpool that Pete Best grew up, writes the Beatles biographer Mark Lewison, quote, Pete grew up a strong, muscly lad, exceptional at sports and carrying no excess weight, eminently capable of taking care of himself in a physical confrontation, which, in Liverpool, could always happen at any moment. He was also handsome and knew it." Unquote. At the age of 17 or so, Pete Best showed some interest in the drums. His mother, Mona, who was running a club called the Casbah Coffee Club in her basement, it was a large basement, was thrilled that Pete had expressed interest in anything. She hurried down to Rushworth and Draper's music store and bought her son, quote, a smart-looking premier kit in blue mother of pearl, unquote. Being a rank beginner as a drummer, never stopped Pete Best, nor has it ever stopped any wannabe rock and roller, and he organized a band called the Blackjacks. 
Having a doting mother who owns a nightclub never hurts when it comes to bookings, and it didn't hurt the blackjacks, amateurish though they were. It was at his mother's Casbah Coffee Club that Pete Best also met the local talent, including an up-and-coming band called the Quarrymen, which featured Paul McCartney, John Lennon, and George Harrison. In the spring of 1960, the Quarrymen changed their name to the Beatles, and a couple of months later, their first manager, Alan William, secured the band an extended gig in Hamburg, Germany. There was a problem, though. The Beatles, consisting of McCartney, Lennon, and Harrison, were without a drummer. Paul McCartney was tasked with finding one. McCartney knew Best through the Casbah, and he knew that Best had one very important thing going for him. He actually owned a set of drums. McCartney also heard, as he later stated in an interview, that Pete Best's female fans considered him as being, quote, mean, moody, and magnificent, unquote a James Dean-slash-Marlon Brando-like trifecta that convinced McCartney that Pete Best would be a good match for the Beatles. Garbage in, garbage out. Sadly, Pete Best wasn't much of a drummer when he joined the Beatles in Hamburg, and he wasn't much of one when they returned from Hamburg two years later, in 1962. By 1962, almost everyone associated with the Beatles, except their manager, Brian Epstein, 1934-1967, wanted best to make like a tree and leave. Nevertheless, had Pete Best been a little better, had he been willing to grow out his hair like McCartney, Lennon, and Harrison, had he spent some off time schmoozing with the other three band members. If, in a phrase, he had made any attempt to behave like a member of the band, he might have lasted a bit longer. And had he managed to last just a bit longer, he might today be a household name instead of being an object lesson in failure, because the Beatles caught fire just weeks after his departure. How many different ways can we say, bummer, dude? Bumero, bummerissimo, bummerski, bummer. I would suggest that the next time any one of us suffers a professional reversal, a disappointment, or even, heaven forbid, a firing, let us count our blessings that, in fact, we are not Randolph Peter Best, and that we have not had to spend our lives explaining our firing to an endlessly curious world, writes Mark Lewison in his definitive The Beatles, All These Years, Volume 1, Tune In, Little Brown, 2013, quote, The ball was set rolling on 14 August 1962, when Brian Epstein phones Billy Butlin's Skegness, it was a seaside resort slash holiday camp on Britain's east coast, where Ringo was playing with a band called the Hurricanes, and asked for Ringo Starr to be paged over the public address. 
It was the summons Ringo had been waiting for, and the details remained fresh in his memory when he was asked about it in New York two years later. We quote Ringo. Brian Epstein phoned me up on a Tuesday and said, Would you like to join the Beatles? I said, Yeah. He said, Well, can you get home tonight? And I said, I can't leave the other group just like that. I must give a bit of notice. So I said, I'll be there on Saturday. Unquote. With Ringo due to take over as the Beatles drummer on Saturday, August 18, 1962, it was crunch time for Brian Epstein, who was told by the other three members of the band to fire Pete Best. Epstein decided to do the dirty on Thursday, August 16th. What made the timing of the firing all the more difficult was that the Beatles had three bookings to play on August 16th and 17th before Ringo's arrival on Saturday, August 18th. Brian Epstein hoped that Best would honor the bookings, though he was prepared to bring in a substitute if necessary. On Wednesday afternoon, August 15th, 1962, Brian Epstein phoned Pete Best and asked him to come into the office at 11 a.m. the next morning. Best was clueless as to what the meeting was all about, and he arrived at the NEMS Enterprises office in Whitechapel, Liverpool, at the appointed time. The following transcript comes from an audio recording Pete Best made in 1965 in New York at the behest of his lawyers, pursuant of a lawsuit challenging his dismissal. Quote, I went in. Epstein was sitting behind the table, and he was fidgeting with papers and moving inkstands. He couldn't look me in the face. He told me about how the group had been going on, and how did I think the group was doing? And I told him, fab. And then, like a bolt out of the blue, he just turned around and said, I've got some bad news for you. The boys and myself have decided that they don't want you in the group anymore and that Ringo is replacing you. I was flabbergasted. I said, what's the reason behind this? And he said, mainly because they think you're not a good enough drummer, and also because EMI Studios' George Martin, who parenthetically would become the Beatles' famed record producer, the so-called Fifth Beatle, said, the drummer isn't good enough." Unquote. The Beatles' road manager and later chief executive of their company, Apple Corps, Neil Aspinall, 1941-2008, was present during Pete Best's firing, and his sympathies lay with both Best and Brian Epstein. As for Best, Aspinall admired the way he took the news. Quote, he said, that if the three other Beatles didn't want him in the group, then he would go. He had a contract with them and could have insisted on staying." Unquote. As for Brian Epstein, Aspinall later said, quote, None of this was Brian's fault. I don't think he wanted to get rid of Pete, and for our information, Epstein didn't want to get rid of Pete. It was John. Paul and George, and they kept right out of it and made him do their dirty work. 
unquote. Finally, as the meeting drew to a close, Brian Epstein asked Best if he would stay on through Thursday and Friday, August 16 and 17, and play the three gigs still on the schedule. Pete Best initially said he would, but in the end, he did not. A drummer named Johnny Hutchinson of the Big Three was rushed in as a substitute. You know, we can't really blame Best for deciding not to play with the Beatles after his firing. He was mortified by it all and deeply hurt by what he perceived as McCartney's, Lennon's, and Harrison's cowardice in how the matter was handled. Best later said, quote, I knew the Beatles were going to go places. I knew we were going to be a chart group, and to be kicked out on the verge of it actually happening upset me a great deal. And the fact that they weren't at the dismissal hurt me a lot more. It was vicious and backhanded, and I felt like putting a stone round my neck and jumping off the pier head." Unquote. The news of Pete Best's firing reverberated across Liverpool's club scene like a cannon shot. Of all the Beatles, Pete Best was considered the best-looking and the most charming, and for his many fans, primarily the fawning teeny boppers who stuck to the band like gum to the bottom of your high tops, Best's sacking was unbelievable and unforgivable. Instantly, the rumor mill snapped into full gear, powered by the unalloyed rage of teenaged girls. One of them, Liz Tibbet Roberts, recalled, quote, It was all rumor. One word going round was that Pete wasn't good enough for them. Another said he was just so handsome that they got rid of him out of pure jealousy. Rumors just start, and it never dawned on 15-year-olds to stop and say, Yes, but how do you know that? You just took it all up like a sponge, then unwittingly spread it." Unquote. Those teenage girls included one Joan McCaldon. Quote, we heard they got rid of Pete because Paul was jealous of the adulation he got, unquote. According to Beryl Johnson, quote, We heard Paul wanted Pete out because he didn't fit in, because he never went around with them, unquote. Remembered Margaret Chillingworth, quote, My friends and I heard Brian Epstein got rid of him, so we hated Brian for that. The reason was that Pete was so nice-looking the others were jealous. This was the whisper going around. We didn't know one drummer from the next, whether he was good or not, so we automatically assumed it had to be jealousy." Unquote. Ah. But Paul McCartney, John Lennon, and George Harrison did indeed know one drummer from the next, and therein lay the problem. Sayonara, Pete. Earlier in this post, I briefly indulged in some speculation regarding Pete Best's abilities as a drummer and how they affected his longevity, or should we say shortivity, in the group. Here's what I wrote. Quote, Had Best been a little better, he might have lasted a bit longer. Unquote. But unfortunately, Pete Best wasn't a little better. 
And in the end, that was the issue. John Lennon went on to claim that Pete Best was asked to join the group in August of 1960 because they were headed to Hamburg to perform. They desperately needed a drummer, and Best was the only one available, to quote Lennon. We were pretty sick of Pete Best because he was a lousy drummer, you know? By the time we'd rolled back from Germany, we'd trained him to keep a, you know, a stick to keep going up and down at four in the bar. He couldn't do much else. He never improved, you know? We were always going to dump him when we could find a decent drummer, unquote. That decent drummer John Lennon talks about turned out to be one Richard Starkey, Ringo Starr, who the Beatles heard often in Liverpool, and who not infrequently sat in with the group. According to Paul McCartney, quote, The truth was, we just kind of fell in love with Ringo's drumming. Ringo was in another band, and we had Pete, and we were working, and we used to see this other band. We said, God, that drummer's good. And one night Pete couldn't do it, and Ringo sat in for him. And we all just went gasp. Behind us was, was this powerhouse and this person who was taking care of the job. And we went, oh dear, unquote. George Harrison echoed Paul's sentiment, saying, quote, Ringo kept sitting in with the band. And every time Ringo sat in with the band, it just seemed like this was it, unquote. George Martin, 1926 to 2016. In fact, the Beatles were left with little choice regarding the firing of Pete Best. On June 6, 1962, the Beatles, with Pete Best on drums, sat down in Studio Two at London's Abbey Road Studios to record a test session for their new producer, George Martin. It had taken them years to get to this point, and individually and collectively, they understood that their future was riding on the session. Martin liked everything he heard except the drumming, which was simply not up to professional snuff. Years later, he remembered, quote, the drums, which are really the backbone of a good rock group, didn't give the boys enough support. They needed a good, solid beat. And I said to Brian Epstein, Look, it doesn't matter what you do with the boys, but on record, nobody need know. I'm going to use a hot drummer. Brian said, Okay, fine. I felt guilty, because I felt maybe I was the catalyst that had changed Best's life." Unquote. What George Martin proposed doing was to bring in session drummers for the purposes of recording. But McCartney, Lennon, and Harrison were completely against the idea, and rightly so. They wanted to record with a drummer who was an integral part of the band, someone who had a vested interest in the future of the band, someone who knew the band's material and his bandmates someone whose talent as a performer matched that of the other three musicians. Alas, George Martin's fears 
that he would become the catalyst that changed Pete Best's life were accurate. Whether or not we approve of the way it was done, if the Beatles were going to make records for EMI and George Martin, Pete Best had to be canned. Postscript. On September 4th, 1962, just 21 days after Ringo Starr was offered the job as the drummer, the Beatles made their first studio recordings with Ringo on drums at London's Abbey Road Studios. Out of the six songs they rehearsed and recorded, the Beatles producer George Martin eventually chose two originals for that first release, Paul McCartney and John Lennon's Love Me Do on side A, and McCartney's P.S. I Love You on side B. For our information, there are today three different versions of Love Me Do available to be heard. First, there is the demo version recorded with Pete Best on June 6, 1962. Even though Best's playing on this session got him fired, that demo version was issued in 1995 on the Beatles Anthology Volume 1. The second version, recorded on September 4, 1962, with Ringo Starr on drums, was used for the original first pressing of Parlophone's 45 RPM single. However, on September 11, 1962, a week after Ringo's first session, the Beatles recorded Love Me Do for a third time, this time with the session drummer Andy White on drums and Ringo Starr playing the tambourine. Okay, to the point, framed as a question, how'd the 45 RPM of Love Me Do do? It went to the top of the charts, number one in the US of A, and made platinum. It was an amazing debut, and the Beatles never looked back, amassing a total of 20 number one songs on the Billboard Hot 100 chart between 1964 and 1970, which is still a record. For our information, Mariah Carey stands at number two with 19 number ones. Elvis Presley at third with 18, and Rihanna a distant fourth with 14. For Pete Best, at least, a painful fact. The Beatles would almost certainly not have accomplished what they did had their drummer remained Pete Best. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.